because I didn't know what to do, I just asked everybody. The fruit guy, the guy on the bus, all my friends, strangers on the street. <laughs> I was desperate. You never know what's behind a closed door, what story you'll find. Hello, I'm Kirsty Melville, and today on Earshot, Gretchen Miller's heading to Maroubra, Sydney's down-at-heel, yet-to-be-discovered beachside suburb, which has quite a lot of housing commission units. And in the end, I came to the, the idea that with these big life decisions, it's only you that can make them, nobody else can. In amongst Maroubra's curving streets, there's a block of flats with a wheelchair-friendly path. Let's go up and meet a remarkable person. A special friend of mine. How are you? I wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant. I've been told in my early 20s that that probably wasn't going to happen. So I was like, okay, well, no kids then. And then I did get pregnant. <laughs> and it was a huge surprise. And then I even went to an abortion clinic and she gave me the whole talk through that they give you just to make sure you're in the right space. And every time she said the word abortion, I burst into tears. <laughs> she said to me, I don't think you're ready, dear. I first met Tansy at a newspaper office 20 years ago. That pregnancy she's talking about came a little after that and took my friend on an unexpected tangent. But there's just something about Tansy. She's so full of resilience, despite everything. This is her singing. And this is her story. I feel like flying. When the vibrations go through my forehead, I get a bit dizzy when I'm singing. And I know that if that's happening, my voice is in the right place. As I got older, it just became like... It, it was a womb sort of thing. It was a protective place. It was somewhere I could always go for comfort. Just happiness. Probably falling asleep is my earliest memory. Mum and Dad used to play orchestral music for us every night when we went to bed. There was always music, because Dad was a singer and Mum was a piano player. Everybody loved music, so... What sort of music did they play? Always classical and religious. Why was that? <laughs> because <laughs> more secular music was, was considered, um, well, satanic, really. The family moved a lot. Tansy's mum, Gwen, had wanderlust. She was always like, oh, wouldn't this be a lovely place to live, Ross? And I remember on one memorial bill occasion, he'd go, oh, we haven't even unpacked from the laugh shift, Gwen. Um, <laughs> Why did she, she did... want to keep moving? Look, I think the moves were a combination of things. Mum's itchy feet, and Mum was sort of the dominant person in our house. Um, my brother, Brett, had a minor degree of disability from cerebral palsy, and so he would act out a lot of frustrated behaviours, and so he would wear out his welcome Dad was in an industry. He was a travelling salesman for pharmaceutical and veterinary surprise. And all of those things kind of worked in to keep us moving. When I left home at 20, I counted up all the places I could remember and I got to 32, so. 
there was a darkness in the family's life, something they all had to deal with. Tansy's sisters, her brother, her mum and dad, and Tansy herself. Tansy's mum, though otherwise loving, had a hair-trigger temper. So much so, she once broke three of her own ribs fighting one of the girl's boyfriends, who was trying to hold her back. I'm gonna fight. I knew you probably I didn't speak to anybody about anything when I was a kid. I was very closed off because there was a fair amount of tension at home at times and I didn't want to add to it. Everybody's got a role in the family. My role was to try and, as mum's favourite, placate mum and be there for her and try and keep it calm. I certainly wasn't going to introduce things that would lead to any kind of unpleasantness. She had some difficult things, as everybody does in life. When she had Brett, she had postnatal depression. It wasn't identified in those days. She misunderstood what her doctor told her to do and she ended up signing herself into a psychiatric hospital where they gave her electric shock therapy. Dad practically kidnapped her from there because they weren't going to let her go. And... One day he did say to me that she was not the same person he married after that. She couldn't control her temper and when she got mad, she was terrifying. But having said all of that, she was also incredibly loving very gutsy, always got up and tried again. She'd very humbly apologise and, and try to do better again, but she just didn't have very much self-control. The family was Seventh-day Adventist and followed the religion to the letter. But Tansy couldn't see that it made sense blaming God or Satan for your own deeds, and she resented the rigidity of her parents' beliefs. yes, the music. It was a, a relief, it was an escape, it was a drug. But it wasn't straightforward. We weren't allowed to listen to the radio because lots of nasty music on there. I, I would get up in the middle of the night and I'd quietly get out the headphones. <laughs> and I'd stand there in the dark with my thumb over the red light that indicates the stereo's on. And I'd stand there for hours listening to the music with one ear off, my ears pricked up for any movement in the rest of the house. I could hide if, if anybody was coming through. When Tansy turned 20, she threw off the restrictive shackles of her childhood and moved to Sydney. At 30, she finally summoned her courage to start singing with bands and practised for hours every day. Her range was five octaves. At last, she had some freedom. And then, at 35, a curveball. 
it became very evident why I'd had that instinct. Just biologically, I suppose, it's a, it's a natural thing to have that instinct when something's wrong. And I still think I made the right decision. Tansy was pregnant. The decision was whether to have an abortion. She was alone. She was very depressed. And this song, Five Mile, was about that time. Sometimes I wondered whether, if I'd known, whether I would have been brave enough to go ahead with the abortion, but I'm really glad I didn't know. My brother was had a mild cerebral palsy. I had not wanted to have a disabled child because watching how much he suffered, being so close to normal, what is considered normal, and yet not actually being accepted. His anguish at not fitting into that bracket I just didn't want that for any kid of mine. And along she came. The baby was born and I was there taking photos at her birth. Her name was Shantae. I still remember her tiny little self, her little starfish hands. It was a couple of days before Tansy knew Shantae had a disability. She had begun fitting particularly when Tansy was trying to breastfeed. I had this nurse. I stiffen every time she came into the room. She was sort of short and I can't remember her name. And she was like a little box and was very militant. And she would flop Shantae about like nobody's business. And I was, you know, I was always brought up to believe you hold the head. And she'd be just like flop, flop, flop. And I'd be getting stiffer and stiffer and preparing myself to lunge. Anyway, <laughs> she came in when Shantae was fitting and she scooped her up and marched out to the nurse's desk and picked up the phone and she sort of barked down at, I am not happy with this baby. You come now. <laughs> and she, she said, doctor, come. <laughs> he tell you what's wrong. She was actually turned out to be my rock. There was no frills. She just quietly allocated me a room to myself so I didn't have to be near the mums with the normal babies because it was breaking my heart. So I found out that she was blind then. The way they explained it to me was like if you have an original picture and you photocopy it and then you take the photocopy and you photocopy that and you keep repeating that, eventually information is going to be lost and lost and lost. And so their idea was that as the cells were dividing, information was being lost and lost and lost. And she started following just her own unique little path of development. Tansy starts at the top of the head. Shantae had epilepsy. She was blind. She had heart problems, kidney problems. She had a delayed nerve stimulus. Inside, Shantae's organs were motational. Malformed ovaries and uterus. They moved instead of staying in their spot. Like Tansy's brother Brett, Shantae had cerebral palsy. They couldn't find a vaginal tract. There was no opening. And also delayed swallow, which means the food would get into her lungs instead of her stomach and made eating almost impossible. 
and she had endless kidney infections. I don't know, she had about upwards of 17 or more anaesthetised procedures. That's a list of awfulness for Shantae. But anyone who met her knows she was so much more than the sum of her parts. Look, I'd come across it before. There's, there's some people that just have a passion for living and she was one of them. She was such a fighter. And she was so joyous, sense of fun and mischief and very bossy, very naughty. She couldn't be bothered with silly old English. She invented her own language and I had to learn it. Um, she did. She was hilarious. You have to understand that Shantae was a journey. She started off really, really badly. And after the bulk of those initial operations, she improved out of sight. Her quality of life just skyrocketed. And we even had a couple of years where we didn't go to the hospital to the point where I forgot her medical reference number, which was just a really good day. Um, (laughs) Three years of constant effort from Shantae and Tansy, and she was standing on her own, in orthotic splints, but standing. Like, with everything in her life, you'd introduce an exercise, she would hate it, she would sob, You'd feel like a murdering cow, but you'd persist with it. And after about three months of doing it, something would suddenly click. Because I would do it with her every day. We would be on the bus, because everywhere took two hours to get to. And I'd be making her, you know, do her exercises as we were going on. No moment was wasted. We did it all the time. She was doing the weight shifting herself. She was going from one foot to the other. The next step from that is, is walking. See, this is something else. I missed her terribly going to school. It was horrible. And going to respite, really horrible. But it was important to do those things for my sanity so I could rest because I wasn't sleeping. I didn't sleep for four years. I just didn't sleep. Where's your balloon, Poppy? The huge worry of any carer is what happens when I die? because there's nobody in my family who could look after her. One of my dear friends, we'd, there had always been an agreement that if anything happened to me, she would take her. I knew she would be loved the way I wanted to, to be loved, rather than being put in some home somewhere. She'd be accepted for who she was and she'd be loved. And that was the most important thing for me because when everything is taken away, that's what's left how much you can love and be loved. So, yeah, I did I did hold hopes for a long time that she would have more autonomy than she did, but <laughs> she was very good at bossing without all of those qualities, so <laughs> she's the bossiest person, except for my mother, that I've ever come across. darling. Get the naughty balloon. Most parents get a little overwhelmed and resentful of their kids sometimes. And Tansy wasn't a saint. I was so exhausted, I would snap. 
and I would take her and I would put her as far away from me as I could in the house so she wouldn't wake me up and I would go and have a sleep for an hour because it was much better that she choke on her own than that I do something to her because I was so exhausted and enraged. And I suppose I can thank Mum for that because I have always been terrified of reacting the way Mum did in a temper. Remember the singing? Tansy's comfort. But if you feel the fear and do it anyway, if you take the risk of falling on your face, it was like the little mermaid. Tansy had her voice, but the stress made singing like walking on glass. And even though I was still singing, it was just because I was stubborn and I was forcing it out as hard as I could go. It was the most uncomfortable experience. That was really difficult to me. I felt like I had lost my life. I had lost every means of support. I was in a situation where nobody could help me. I was in a situation where nothing could fix it. There was no good outcome. There was no magic potion. There was no miracle. There was no normality. There was no personal freedom. There was no nourishment for my soul. And then I lost my voice as well. And I, I just felt without anything to stop me falling. Often there wasn't enough money for the basics and Tansy would be hand-washing till two in the morning when the machine broke down under constant use. There was no money for a car until much later, so you'd spot them standing by the side of Anzac Parade, waiting for a bus to get to hospital or into town, with the wheelchair laden with bags to the point of tipping over. <sighs> Gretch, look, we, we live in a lucky country. <laughs> Shante had thousands of dollars worth of surgery, thousands of dollars worth of hospital care, all paid for by Medicare. So lucky, if she'd been born in any other country, she would have been dead. I am not ungrateful. I am so grateful for what they gave us under the social and economic systems that they have in this country. But it didn't make for an easy life either. It was still a very low standard survival type of living. Tansy's mum Gwen died of motor neuron disease as Shantae turned six. It was protracted and painful with the family very close in her last years and Tansy and Shantae travelled often to visit as her parents continued in their nomadic ways. Then at nine years old, Shantae's epilepsy hit her for five hours straight. Tansy calls it the event, and many disabled kids have them in various ways. They mark a kind of shift. Shantae emerged weaker, jerkier, and on a downward trajectory. So with all the struggle, the pain, the days and weeks spent in and out of hospital, You'd be forgiven for asking if it was all worth it for Shantae, for Tansy, 
and for the public hospital system. But if you take that question and apply it to other complex life circumstances, you realise there's no answer except keep going, one day at a time. But it was around that time Tansy got what she called the death talk. The ICU specialist gave me the talk. He's, he's in there. He's, he's got the six volumes or so of Shantae's records in front of him and he's just looked at it and he's just gone, just let this kid go. And he was so kind and he was so gentle and his concern clearly was for Shantae first, me second, which is exactly the way it should have been. And I just thought, what a crap job. Fancy having to tell parents that they need to let their kid die. What a horrible thing. What a horrible thing to have to live, to have that as your work, that you're the one. And I thought, he doesn't get to see what I see. So I, I made up a little document for him and I put all these pictures in it. Shantae swinging on a swing and laughing ahead of. Shantae being walked around in the wind and, you know, all excited and going... <gasps> The way she used to, she used to get so excited by the wind and all these little photographs of her and her quality of life, busy, fun, and I gave it to him. And the paediatrician said to me later, she said, he sat down with that document for a long time. He just sat there and he looked at it and he looked at it and he looked at it. And he said to me later that it changed his whole perspective of what it is that he does and... I hadn't given him that to do that. I gave him that so he could see just how much love and joy she experienced being alive. But after the event, the fight went out of Shantae. She made herself clearer than ever to her mother, who knew each facial expression and gesture and utterance, having watched her every move since the day she was born. Shantae was ready to go. She was very direct with her communication. She was very sophisticated with her communication. And it broke my heart a little bit because I realised how much I'd missed of who it was that she was capable of being. It was like she went from a child to, to an adult. Over the next two years, they were in hospital more often than they were out of it. When it was clear Shantae was dying, hooked up to every machine possible, but still holding on and holding on, I said, it's all right. You've really fought really hard. You've really tried really hard. You've been through a lot. And it is absolutely okay with me if you want to go. Of course, I'm going to miss you. But you've earned the right. And um, it was what she needed to hear. And she took three little breaths and she was gone. And she'd just been hanging around because she's worried about us. 
Yeah, and then we all kind of said our goodbyes and I dressed her in a pretty little outfit. And um, then the funeral home people came and they waited till we were ready and then they took her. Mm. My little pup. She looks so cute in her boots and a little fur coat and... Yeah. My little sweetheart. Yeah, so we call that Freedom Day now. And we have special cake that we make. And we just hang out. Think about her. Chuckle about all of her funny little ways. Yeah. Chante died on the 27th of May, 2014. She was 11 years old. At a farewell, her friends walked down to Maroubra and scattered pink flowers in the water around the cliffs. Where are we, Tans? Describe this place. Oh, McMahon's Pool. It's so beautiful. It's a little seawater pool on the north end of Maroubra Beach. There's just rock formations everywhere, waves throwing themselves over them and gushing down in waterfalls all along the, the walls of rock. And it's just so beautiful to come down here and swim. How often do you come? Every day. Now that I'm better, I've been somebody who adores the water my whole life. Once I get in, it's kind of hard to get me out. So to have spent the last four years not in the water has been a bit of a heartache for me. Why the last four years? Well, the two years before Bubby died, I was just with her all the time. We couldn't go anywhere or do anything. She was just constantly sick. And my, my arms were kind of wrecked a bit from lifting Bubby for so long. And then the two years after, I got a job for nine months, which was incredibly busy and stressful. Didn't have time. During that time, Tansy had a series of small strokes. And then I went into a deep grief over losing Bub. And then I got cancer. Breast cancer. You know, I, I've, I find it difficult to strike the proper tone and have, have the proper amounts of alarm and catastrophe that people normally attach to these things. And in fact, <laughs> I mean, when you, you have an experience like Shantae and then you have a stroke in cancer, it's just like, me. It's, it's that black humour again, you know. A year into her recovery, and as she thinks about what's next, my friend's remarkable voice is returning. Now, I'm finally, finally able to be de-stressed enough to become reacquainted with my voice and to sing in a way that I probably never have before, actually. I think Shantae has left me wanting to be more real rather than pretending to be something I'm not.